So we're going to be in Song of Solomon tonight. Chapter 1, verse 12 is where we will pick up. And I will give you a quick review as soon as we read these, these few verses. We'll read these together and then we'll kind of review. If, if you're just jumping in, it's good to know the context of everything. So I will review this for you. And um, that way we're all on the same page ready to go. All right. Verse 12 is where we pick up. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. And a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. Here we go. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you are with us tonight. Lord, we're thankful that you have written this down for us in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Lord, putting this in your word for us. And God, we pray tonight that we would draw from it wisdom in your plan for us as single, as dating, as engaged and married couples. Lord, we thank you that your word in its entirety is, is for us. It is to us ultimately, that we might draw closer to you and give you praise and glory through our lives. So, Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us tonight. Guard my lips, guard my mouth, Lord. And um, we just love you, Jesus. We thank you that you love us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is the Song of Solomon. It's, it's known as the Song of Songs. It's written by Solomon, which is it's interesting because the woman talks more than the man, which is you know, normal in this whole thing, you'll hear, you'll hear from three different people. You hear from the Shulamite or, or the woman, and you'll hear from her friends, which we're going to call them, the women or the daughters of Jerusalem, and you'll he'll hear from uh, the man, which is my beloved or uh, Solomon himself. And so those are the three kind of characters we see in the book. And in the beginning, we saw that Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, she speaks, and what we find from her speech here is that she really likes this guy. She is into it. She is into the relationship. She says, your love is better than wine. And, and we talked about kind of what she's comparing his love to. We, we talk about how she's infatuated with him, but in the sense that she's not so infatuated by just his looks, but also his character. She, she is drawn to him, not just by his physical attraction, because he is attracted to her, but she's attracted to his character. She's attracted to his wisdom. She's attracted to him also physically, which we'd spent quite a bit of time talking about how physical attraction is a part of dating. And physical attraction is okay in the proper context. If you're thinking like, she's cute, and you're like, oh gosh, Lord forgive me for I have sinned. God has made you with this, this and made other people that are attractive. And God has given you a definition of beauty. Just as God gave Adam a definition of beauty, you also have a definition of beauty. For Adam, Eve was the most beautiful creature he had ever seen walking on two legs. Because I was the only one. 
But we always picture her as like, you know, slender or curvy. And we have this picture of what Eve must have looked like. Like in a, in, she was eating this perfect diet or in this perfect world. She could have been 4'2", 250 pounds. We don't know. She could have been me. Just, just me, but with longer hair. That's what Eve could have looked like. But we don't know. But to Adam, man, she was... Absolutely gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And, and for us, listen, she was attracted to his character, his wisdom, but she was also attracted to, his phys- to him physically. In the proper context, physical attraction is good. And, and in our, the first chapter, we see that the relationship is kind of coming about. We're seeing in verses one, in the first kind of section of the book, they're, they're dating and they're courting, if you want to use that word, but they're, they're dating each other. And within that dating process, we're going to see some things that I believe are great for us as you begin to date, as you begin to launch out into this, this crazy world of dating, and you're thinking, I'm never going to get married, ever. Some of you have that mindset like, no, that is, no. It is wrong, like vile, boys are gross. That's cool, man. You can still hang with that. Like, boys are gross. Just gonna, they're nasty. They are. We are until the day we die, we're nasty. But God will somehow change. We all started that way. Like, when we were kids, you like played with, with other, like the opposite sex. You're like, cool, all right, we're little, we can play in the sand, and everything's cool. And then, some point in your life, it kind of changed. Where as a boy, you're like, I just wanna destroy stuff. I don't want, you know, what you want to do and build and tea and I don't want to do that. And I want to destroy everything. And, and then suddenly it changes where you're like, I don't know why, but I want to throw stuff at you. I want to pull your hair. I want to push you down. I don't know why, but I do. And you're not so bad as I thought you were. And there's this whole change. Like most of us, we go through these weird changes of the opposite sex. And so Solomon and this young woman are engaging in a dating relationship, and they're moving towards marriage. And as we move forward through this book, remember, we're looking at it in three parts, in a three-part song, if you will, the beginning being the courtship and their dating relationship. You'll notice that Solomon will compliment her, and it's from the neck up. Everything is very appropriate because they're just dating. And as it gets to the middle of the book, the wedding and the wedding night itself, he then compliments whatever he wants because they are now married. So in the second section, you'll look at the wedding, the events leading up to the wedding, and everything that surrounds the wedding. And in the third part of this book is the development of marriage over time and develop the development of marriage over time. But tonight, we're going to see their relationship kind of move into a different level. It's taken on a new level. It's taking on a new tone. And we're going to see in these verses what she's feeling. And she's going to talk, man. She's going to use literature that I needed. I told some of you today, I need to go back to a literature class for all the poetry that is involved here. She's going to use such eloquent speech. And then Solomon's going to talk. And you're going to know which is which. But Solomon's going to speak but first, she speaks about what she's feeling. In this section, you're going to, there are going to be phrases that are sexual in nature, and they're both having these desires. Both Solomon and this woman, they're having sexual desires, and there's tension between them, and they both want that, 
And, and they're being aware of those desires and they're, what they're going to do is they're going to take proper precautions not to awake or stir up love too soon. They're very aware of how they feel and so they're going to take the proper steps to make sure that they are able to wait that they're able to do things the better way that God has designed them to be done. And so they're going to move in that direction. You're going to see some of that tonight. But verse 12 is where we begin. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. A nard was a flask of ointment. Or, or perfume. Remember Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, as Jesus was nearing the cross and kind of making his way um, in the next few weeks towards the cross, she knew that somehow through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Mary brought out that alabaster flask of oil or spike nard, and she then anointed Jesus with it and poured it over him. And there was this great debate about whether that should have been done or not. But, but she says his fragrance... Uh, it's sending forth, it's, it's overwhelming my senses. And what she is saying here is that Solomon is at his house. And I'm here, he's laying on his couch, and I'm at my house here laying on my bed, and I am just thinking about him. And as I am thinking about him, I am overwhelmed with this fragrance of him, thinking about him and the man that he is. And what she's coming to the point and the realization, I believe, is that she is realizing, I think I am in love with this guy. I think I'm in love. Have you ever like, come to that and like, I think I'm in love with that person? I remember with Lauren, we were dating and there was this weird, like I have never felt before because she was the only girl who had ever, had ever wanted to date me. But I remember thinking like, this is weird. I am laying here talking on the phone. I hate talking on the phone. I'm talking to her on the phone for hours and hours and hours. And I can't get enough. This is the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me. I think I'm in love. And coming to that realization, we then are, are presented with an option then to take our heart and we're going to give it to someone else. That's what she's coming to the realization. When she says that this fragrance, it's, it's like a bundle of myrrh that's, that's within me. Here it is, is. My beloved is to me. She's saying that I am just about ready to give this guy my heart. I'm about ready to tell him and, and give him something that is so precious and so personal. I'm ready to give this to him. And if you've ever come to that point, ladies, I encourage you, choose wisely who you give your heart to. Choose wisely who you give your heart to. Who you then come to the decision that I am jumping all in. That we've been kind of been friends and we like each other. We kind of been seeing each other. We went to get coffee. We've been hanging out and, and <laughs> I'm in. I just can't. <sighs> and you push all your, here we go. I am ready to give her my heart. I am ready to give him my heart. Here's the thing. Choose wisely, ladies. 
The man that you choose to give your heart to is the guy that you're choosing to follow. That's the man that you've chosen to follow. And the thing that's interesting is the way that she portrays it is like a spikenard, a fragrance that is poured out. Once you pour that out, there's no getting it back. When you spray on cologne, I mean, it's on. It's on you, or perfume. There's no putting it back in the bottle. You can rub the bottle, it just goes back in. There is no, once it's out, there's no getting it back in. So I charge you, choose wisely in who you give your heart to. Choose wisely. And guys, we need to realize the responsibility and the importance of something like that. And if you're in a relationship and you're not in it, the best thing you can do is get out of it before she gives you her heart and you then feel guilty and you continue in a relationship that you're not into. That is selfish and it will bring about more damage than you think. If you're not into it and she is, or he's into it and you're not, ladies, understand the responsibility that you carry. When someone gives you their heart, what they're giving you is something so precious. They're making themselves completely vulnerable to you. What they're opening up is, is they're just removing the armor and saying, I'm giving this to you. And what sometimes happens is when that armor is removed, there is just the death blow. So be choosy. Be careful about who you enter into a relationship with and who you decide to give your heart to. Because ultimately, ladies, if that's your decision, you are then choosing to follow him in the biblical sense. That he's the man that's going to be leading you. And guys, flip it around yourself. Now imagine if you were called in scripture to be the one to follow. And the responsibility that that carries. We need to be very wise in this area. She's thinking, this is the one. This is him. And in verse 13, she says, a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies between my breasts. And it's there all night long. It, it, it just permeates through. She's wearing like a necklace, this necklace that would hold spices and other things. And it would be like their version of perfume. Or, and she's saying, I'm just overwhelmed in my senses. I'm overwhelmed and love is growing and she's feeling deeply about this guy, but she hasn't let that infatuation and that love become blind. It doesn't, she didn't allow it to cover up red flags, which means that she has waited and she has been patient and she has watched his life and she has seen that he is a good man. And now that she has seen that he doesn't just say one thing and does another, but as he has spoken, he also does. And therefore, she said, I am just filled with love for this man. And therefore, I, I know who he is and I can trust him with my heart and I'm going to give it to him. That's what she's describing here. Understand that Solomon is not between her breasts. That's not what's going on here. She's saying it is my beloved to me. She's using a simile. It's like this is happening. The relationship is very appropriate at this time. Verse 14, she says, My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyard of Engedi. Just so sweet. In the vineyards of Engedi, henna blossoms. Engedi is a really cool place. We got to go there a couple years ago in Israel. 
And Gedi is a, an oasis in a desert land, in the land of Judea. It's this deserted place. Nearby is the, the Dead Sea, where nothing lives. It's really interesting. But there's this little oasis off to the side called En Gedi. And this is where David hid from Saul. And in En Gedi, there are, there are flowing um, waterfalls and rock badgers and all sorts of, like, there's this verse in Samuel that says it's the land of, of these certain types of goats. And when we went there... They're there. There's all of these goats. I was like, the Bible is true. I mean, just like come to life. Like that's what proved it for me. But it was like, whoa, it says that there's goats and there's goats. Revolutionary. The Bible is true. Therefore, I will follow because of the goats. But En Gedi is this desert oasis in a, in a dry land. And she, this is where David hid from Saul. It has waterfalls and streams and running water through it. And she says to him, before you, I was in this like deserted land. I was on Tinder and there was nothing going on. I was out there and there's just like nothing going on. And you came along. You are just like this bond, this growth that has come out of a deserted land. Before you, I was dry and you bring me refreshment. Refreshment. She's saying that your love is refreshing to me. I think that's evident here that, that Solomon was actually ministering to her. But she says, your love, it's, it's refreshing to me. It's evidence that Solomon was taking the time to minister to her, to share with her, to point her to Jesus, to, to spend time with her, encouraging her in her walk with God. She says, that to me is refreshing. Refreshing, where there was a time where I was just in this desert land, not knowing what was going to happen and where I was going. But your love to me is so refreshing. It's like a drink of water in a dry land. And what I think it goes to show us is that we, when we get into relationships or we enter into a relationship, there should be an aspect of refreshment. It should not be draining. If it's draining on you, at the beginning phases, we're like, this is awful, but I'm just going to power through. It's a red flag. It should not be, especially in the beginning. In the beginning, it's just, it's like movie love, where you're just, <laughs> and you're just so like engaged in everything they say. It's so cute. It's so wonderful. You're so into it. At the beginning, in that dating phase, if you're like, this is awful, I, it is draining on my life. Listen, that is the Lord speaking to your heart. Run. Get out now. It should not be that way. It should be fun. It should be refreshing. It shouldn't be draining. And a lot of people have these mentalities. Listen, and, and, and listen, this is no disrespect. I am saying this from a place of knowing this and watching this. See, some people have a mentality of the rescuer, of the taking on a project of fixing someone in a relationship. And you, you're almost like this, this stray cat catcher that you just, oh, they, oh, you, we're dating now and they're just really messed up. Listen to me. Listen to me. Please, no disrespect. That is the last thing you want to do. 
because you cannot fix anybody. You can't. You cannot change anyone. The only person who can change a person, the only God who can change a person is Jesus, not you. So the last thing you want to do is enter in a relationship thinking, I'm going to save them. Watch me missionary date them and bring them to the Lord. It's not a good idea because it will drain you and suck the life right out of you and you'll enter into the next relationship with this idea that I gotta rescue this person. The last thing they need is a boyfriend. The last thing they need is a girlfriend. They need Jesus. They do not need you. They need Jesus. And until they are satisfied in Christ, they will never be satisfied in a person. It's true. It's true. Even when you're married in a healthy relationship, what you realize is this person, God never meant for them to, comp- or, or to complete me, ever. Nowhere in God's word says, you complete me, Jerry Maguire. You complete me. You had me at hello. That's it. The puzzle piece has ended. God gave you that person to compliment you. Jesus completes you. Jesus completes you. No person will complete you. No no person will completely satisfy every need that you have like Jesus can. It's an unrealistic expectation that we can throw on people. It's a heavy weight. Being a husband is already a heavy weight. Being a wife is already a big responsibility. But to throw on to it, I'm going to satisfy and, and meet every need that this person needs. Huh. I don't think so. We have to enter into a relationship. If it's draining on us, it's not good. It should be refreshing. And we should have that mentality to to serve that other person that we're engaged in this relationship with to refresh them in the Lord, to encourage them, to build them up. That's what we are to engage in. And it should begin that way and it should continue that way until the end. It's to be refreshing. He was her oasis, she says. In verse 15, he's going to talk. I love what he says. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. He says to her, you are beautiful. And again, I repeat it, you are beautiful. He already said it once in the the previous verses. He says, uh, what does he say? Where is it? Verse 8. Oh, fairest among women. What does he call her? You are the most beautiful woman in the world. And she says to him, you are like this fragrance. You are my oasis. You are my refreshment. And he says, girl, you are beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Typical man. Like that. Girl, you are gorgeous. That's all I got. Why does he keep saying that? Because that's a good line. That's a great line. She's all poetic and just this imagery that she's using. And he goes, you're so pretty. Oh. And what we get from this is, listen, men are different than women. We are so different. The words that we use, the feelings that we have. But listen, he's saying that you are beautiful. He's reassuring her of of his affection for her. Remember, she had previously said that I'm, I'm dark, but I'm lovely. She was self-conscious, and she was a little bit insecure about her body. And she, she's feeling that. And she, she's also insecure about his feelings. 
She says, I don't know where you are, basically, in the, in the, first, in the first couple of verses here. I don't know where you are. I don't know where your, your feelings are at. I feel kind of insecure about my body. And he says, listen, don't you know that you're the most beautiful woman in the world? And I'm going to say it again. You are beautiful. And I'm, one more time, you are beautiful. If I haven't told you today, you are gorgeous. It's a great line. It's a great line. But he says here, it doesn't just stop. He says, you are beautiful, and you have beautiful eyes, too. It's like, that's all he's got. But this is, <laughs> he's going to get deeper. But again, neck up. Good job, Solomon. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. It's like, what? You look like a pigeon, girl. <laughs> yeah. Just like cooing and stuff. Like, what is he talking about? Your eyes are like doves. We don't talk like that, do we? But what he's saying here is not that you are cute. I <laughs> get it, cool, cute. Okay, not that you're just beautiful, not that I just, I like your eyes. That was like a line I'd like on Lauren. Lauren, I love your eyes. You have such beautiful eyes. And she would say, I have dark brown eyes. What's so lovely about it? I love, what do you think? They're brown, okay? I still like them, they're beautiful. They're like deep pools that I swim in. Anyway, he says, I look into your eyes. <laughs> but what doves represent, if you look through doves throughout scripture, doves were known for three things, their cleanliness, their tranquility, and their peace. He says, you're, you're beautiful, absolutely. But when I look into your eyes, I see a woman who has something inside of her that is attractive. I see something inside of you that is attractive because I see that you are at peace. And it was the inside that I was attracted to him. He, he reassures, you are beautiful. Yes, absolutely. But the more I get to know you, just I'm moving past that physical attraction, and the more I look into your eyes, I am so attracted to the woman inside. She is at peace. She's beautiful. Her soul, he was attracted to her soul and her character. And Solomon is also, he's falling in love with her. You see this progression where they're kind of like back and forth. They, they, they're dating each other and they come to this point where like, I, I'm not just, I don't just like you. Like, I love you. I am in love with you. In fact, I'm not just in love with, with what I see, which is like, wow, but I, the person inside is so attractive. Because outward beauty fades, abs go away, pecs disappear, biceps turn into just bigger triceps because it all hangs out the back. Like that all fades, the outer body. We read on Wednesday night, the, the outer body, it is perishing. It is. Beauty fades, but a woman of character is to be praised. Listen, guys, we don't just look on the outside because that attraction will fade. We must also Fall in love with the person inside. It's not just about outward beauty, although that is part of it. But as we get past that physical attraction, the inner beauty is what we fall deeply in love with. That's why they call it soul mate. Because I have fallen in love with their soul, with their character, who they are. That's what Solomon is communicating. Not just you have beautiful eyes, but man, you're at peace. 
And that peace puts me at peace. You look at the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, we see a dove, and, the, and we see that dove on the ark. When, when you know, the flood came, and there's all, they're waiting there to see if the, the floodwaters had receded, and, and the Lord sends, or, or Moses sends out a dove, and it comes back with an olive branch in its mouth. After all that turmoil, God sends this symbol of peace to his heart. I think that kind of correlates with what Solomon's feeling. When I see you, man, I am at peace. It's the same thing when I come home after like a crazy day. And I get home, my wife's there, and it's like, she puts me at peace. She puts me at peace. She puts my heart at rest. Because she's there just by being there. And it's Jesus in her that is so attractive. It, her heart that is put at peace by God, and she's been hanging out with these crazy two-year-old and a four-year-old who like just battle each other all day. And my daughter Molly is biting my son Luke and like tearing his flesh off, like with her mouth, like ah! And she, my son's like, Dad, look, Molly bit me, and there's this huge like shark bite in his back, and I'm like, Oh my gosh! And one's like, Yeah, you want to know what happened in this house today? <laughs> just being there, I'm home. Ah, she puts me at peace, at rest. When I'm stressed, when I'm freaking out, she has this way of just like, dude, calm down. I'm like, but you don't understand. Calm down. Oh, you're right. I'll calm down. It's cool. It's going to be all right. And we do the same thing for each other. She'll get like, ha! And I'm like, hey, is that all right? There we go. And that's part of this partnership is we put each other at peace. We're to be that peace when they're in the storm. We're to come alongside. We're, and listen, it's Jesus in us. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit ministering to that other person. And the Holy Spirit ministering through us to our spouse or to that person, being refreshing to them. Behold, you are fair. Guys, remember that line. You are beautiful. What I want to remind you girls of, ladies, girls, cultivate that inner beauty. Cultivate that inner beauty because that will attract a good man. That's the kind of guy you want to attract. That's how you attract a good guy, is cultivating the inner beauty. And if we could just talk about this for a minute. I think modesty has gone out the window in our culture where we live, we're beach culture, Girls, you can attract a certain kind of guy. It doesn't take much for us, you know, it really doesn't. But you want a guy to fall in love not just with your outer beauty, because you're all beautiful. Christ has made you, and so you're all beautiful daughters of the Lord. But the guy that you want to attract, you don't need to attract him by adorning yourself in a certain way. And you're going to attract some rats. You're going to attract some dogs. You want to attract the right kind of guy. And the right kind of guy is looking for that inward beauty. That's the kind of guy you want to attract. And guys, listen, look for a woman who loves Jesus and puts him ahead of you. Who loves Jesus more than she could ever love you. That's the type of woman that you want. That, he, that she puts Jesus ahead of you and doesn't just say that she loves the Lord, but you watch her life and you see her loving Jesus through her life. 
That is the type of person that you're looking for. Physical attraction, yeah. But that inward beauty is what we're after. Verse 16, behold, you are handsome, my beloved. She says my beloved a lot. That's like her little pet name for him, like, hey, Pookie Bear, or whatever. But my beloved is what she calls him. I've always called Lauren, Lauren. That's just like her name for, for, for me. That's what I call it. Hey, what's up, Lauren? That's her name for me, and I am Andrew. I mean, we just never had the pet name thing going, like, what's up, baby cakes? My brother, my brother, I called you baby cakes last week, huh? That was weird. I'd never done that. I was like, you want those baby cakes? And I was like, where did that come from? That's weird. It's just what my heart was feeling. Anyway, you ever have those people that just like call each other babe all day? Like, babe, babe, babe. Call them by their name. Maybe they'll answer. It's so annoying. Like, there's a reason they're not answering to babe. There's a lot of babes out there. That sounded weird. Make sure you call them by their name. My pet name. She has a pet name for him. <laughs> Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Sup, man? Yes, pleasant. And then she starts talking about their relationship. And this is where it starts to look very sensual. She says, also, our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. And you're like, what? Is she describing her, like, bed sheets? What is she talking about? Remember, this is before their wedding. And everything that they are doing up until this point is very PG, very appropriate. What she's describing here is that the place that they hang out is green. And when she looks up, she sees trees. Their dating experience is out in the open. It's not drawn behind closed doors in the dark. They, their relationship is blossoming outside. I'm not saying that, I mean, we're under no illusion that you can't fall into sin out in nature. I mean, but they're, they're taking the proper precautions that they would stay outside, that everyone, they're out where people can see them. They're out there where, where they're in, in public, where people can keep them accountable. They're taking every precaution necessary to not fall into sexual sin before it's appropriate. They are recognizing that they both have these desires. And so what we're going to do is our couch is going to be out in the park. Out in the park, and we're going to sit under a tree. We're going to have a picnic. We're going to be on the beach together. We're going to be out in public in the open because when things kind of come inside behind closed doors is when we set ourselves up for a very difficult situation. I don't care if you're Gandhi. Dude, there is no way that you can be like, no, I'm cool. I'll go home. If there is an opportunity, we will fall into temptation. Because especially, it's natural when you love someone to have that overwhelming, when she's saying like, I am just overwhelmed. You think that she's like, hey, no, that's cool. She's into it. She's into it. He's into it. They're both into it. It's natural that they'd want to be physical together. But what they're saying is we're going to spend time getting to know each other outside that we might develop the friendship side of things before anything gets physical. And the interesting thing is that when we get 
physical, before we're supposed to, we then, everything is surrounded by the physical. Everything that we do is with the intention of being physical, and it's really hard to focus on the friendship side of things. And the one thing that continues throughout marriage, throughout dating, throughout your life together, is friendship. It's friendship. Laura and I were talking about this today over breakfast, and I was saying to her, like, we got physical early, and we were by no means angels at all. Nothing good happens after 10 p.m. I'm going to give you some practical dating tips in a moment. She gave some at the Brave Conference. It was great. But listen, we didn't start out as, like, best buddies, and we're like, wow, you're really cool. I saw her, and I was like, man, she's so cute. I hope that she likes me. And she saw me, and for some reason, she's like, he's cute. I hope that he likes me. And we're like, bam, dating. And as we, we waited a very long time before we were physical, before we kissed or something like that, but once that began, we were talking about this this morning, once that began, the friendship side of things was very difficult to continue to cultivate. We are best friends. She is my best friend. She knows every horrible thing about me. And I know every wonderful thing about her because there is no ugly. We know everything about each other. We are best friends. When we got married, we played this newlywed game where you sit back to back and you like hold up the flags. And when we got married, we had been dating for five years. Uh-huh. And we were together for five years dating each other. We got every question right because I knew everything about her and she knew everything about me. But listen, it was really hard to continue to cultivate that friendship. So Solomon, and I think the Shulamite woman here, they're saying, we're going to put our relationship out there so that we can develop this friendship before anything gets physical. And she then goes back into kind of talking about herself here in chapter 2, verse 1. She says, I'm a rose of Sharon and a lily of the valley. She talks about herself again in her assessment of herself. She's basically saying, I'm a common rose. I'm common. And an average lily, and she's not saying that I'm all that, but I'm not that bad. She's kind of like, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm up there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a common rose. And this is what Solomon says to her. Oh, no, little girl. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't just assess yourself that way. Let me tell you who you are. You're not just a common rose. You are a lily among thorns. So as my love among the daughters. He's saying, you're not just some common rose. You are the most beautiful flower among a bed of thorns. He's reassuring her, man, that you are beautiful to me. Reaffirming that definition of beauty for him. That there is no one else. There is no one else that I would rather be with. There is no one else that I'm looking at. In, in public or in private, there is no one else that I'm into. Reassuring her of that feeling. Verse three, she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She calls him an apple tree and they're just like going back and forth, complimenting each other. Just like back and forth. They're getting all agricultural like an apple tree 
among the trees of the woods. And you're like, wait a second, apple tree with a bunch of trees. That doesn't sound, ouch, so I'm just a common tree. But it would be very odd to find an apple tree amongst the woods, right? There's just this one tree, she's saying, in the middle that has fruit on it. She's saying, you're fruitful. I saw a whole bunch of trees and in, in that forest, and then I saw you, a man among boys. That is a good line, ladies. A man among boys. And guys, let me just impart some wisdom to you. Women want a man, not a boy. And let me tell you the difference. I came up with this definition all by myself. Boys, they do what they want. Men do what's right. Boys do whatever they want to do, don't they? I'm going to go here, I'm going there. They think about themselves. Men do the right thing. That's a man. Ladies, can I get an amen? Is that what you're after? You're after a man. You're not after a boy. And guys, sometimes we need to take that step from boyhood into manhood, like now. Like now. And ladies, we will always be immature. If you're like, he's not mature, we will never be. We will never be. As I'm reading this to myself, by myself, I'm laughing. That's how immature I am. Oh, <laughs> nard. <laughs> just laughing, like I can't even take this. A, fr- a pastor friend of mine texts me today, he says, I don't know how you're doing this. I can't handle the Song of Solomon. I'm cracking up reading it right now. We're both 30. Like, in a, we're, he's 29, I'm 29. We're older, and we're still like, <laughs> we're still laughing at this stuff. You're like, I just want a mature man. They don't exist. We just don't exist. But what we do, guys, men do the right thing. And sometimes we'll revert back to being boys. And it's a constant, like we need to act like men. And men do the right thing, regardless of what we feel, regardless of what we might think. We do what's right based upon the word of God. That is a man. That's a man. And that's what we need to do. What's happening with her is that respect is happening. She is showing him respect. And there's nothing a guy likes more from his wife than respect. And Peter, writing to the church, he said, listen, wives, respect your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. It's very natural for, for a wife to love her husband. And it's very natural for a man to respect his wife. It is supernatural for a wife to respect her husband. And for a husband to love his wife and to show love for his wife. And that's why Peter says that. It's important. But nothing, I think, boosts a man's, like, the way that you are trying to communicate that feeling is respect towards him. Nothing makes him feel more, I think, assured is respect. In the following verses, she says, So is my beloved among sons. I sat down in the shade with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. There was a saying that, that you could find a tree that, give, that will give you shade, but it will not give you fruit. And vice versa. You can find one that will give you fruit, but it won't give you shade. She says, you give me both. You give me both. 
And what she's saying to him is, I feel safe with you. I feel comfortable with you. I feel protected by you. And that is something that we also need to cultivate in a dating relationship, in an engagement, in a marriage relationship, is constantly cultivating that feeling for, guys, for our wife, for our girlfriend, that she needs to know that she is safe and comfortable with us. Verse four, she's rejoicing with her friends. Look at this. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. She says, as we go into this banquet hall that he's prepared, he has like a banner up. It would be like a military banner. And it says, I love Shula. We're just going to call her Shula. I love her. It was, it, Solomon is forthright. He's not trying to play it cool. Like, hey, everyone, this is my friend. It's like, this is my lady right here that I am with, that I love. His love was not hidden. It was out there in the open. He was unashamed of her, and she is rejoicing with her friend. She says, I went to the banqueting table, and he had this banner, and he was like, oh, he just loves me so much. And she is just so excited. And she says to her friends, help me. Help me. Look what she's going to say in verse 5. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. She says, give me carbs. Just flood me with carbohydrates. Just sustain me with butter and bread, for I am lovesick right now. I, she's like, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm going to do. You, you guys got to help me. I need accountability because if I see him... Oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. Help me. Keep me accountable. Ladies, I want to encourage you. Surround yourself with women that love Jesus and that will keep you accountable in your relationship. Because a woman who only hangs out with her boyfriend will have no bridesmaids. You understand what I'm saying? It is so important. That while you are in a relationship, you do not neglect the people that love you and care about you most. Those people, guys, around a fellowship of guys that will hold you accountable to that, to that relationship. And that's what she's saying. I am, I am lovesick right now. I'm going to throw up. Like I'm just so in love right now. She comes to her friends. You got to help me. She's saying to them, these feelings are so powerful that I don't know what I'm going to do if I see him. you got to help me keep me accountable. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, which is also a book that Solomon wrote, he says, people are better off, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. It's important that we also cultivate our friendships while we are in this relationship, that these people are holding me accountable to this relationship because there are times where this feeling of love is so powerful. It is so powerful that it will make you do crazy things. Love makes us do crazy things. It's almost like we don't even think about what we're doing. Because we're so, like, lovesick. And so she says, you got to bring me back to reality. Slap me. Give me carbs. Do something. Help me. I'm out of control. She says, I charge you 
Oh, sorry, verse six. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. She's going, we're there. Like he's like Fabio over me and his hands and just like, we're there. And so she says to her girlfriends, I charge you, oh daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the doves of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What an exhortation. She says, listen, like a deer or like a gazelle that is super skittish. Like if you see a deer and you throw, they take off, they bolt. She says, that's what love is like right now. That if I awaken it like that, it's going to go off. It's going to go off. And so I, I charge you, don't awake it before it should be. Because if we do, we don't stand a chance. I don't care how much willpower you have. Love is one of the most powerful things. And so we need to be careful. It's just like a chainsaw. Chainsaws are powerful. It's not something that you goof around with. When you start it, you're not like, watch me stick this to my tongue. Like, <laughs> a chainsaw is like insanely powerful. And so when you handle it, you are handling it with the utmost of care. You are reading, guys, we are actually reading the safety instructions and manual on how to use this thing because it is so powerful that if left to my own devices to figure it out, I'm going to lose a limb. Love is the same way. It is so powerful that if we don't treat it like that, could send us into something that that it should not be awakened before the time. And she's charging her friends, listen, wait, 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 and make sure that you don't awaken that love before it's time. Because this is hard, is what she's saying. I need carbs right now. This is insane. My encouragement to you tonight I hope you're encouraged by this. I know it's a different book. It's super, it is challenging to teach through. But I hope that you're encouraged that there is power in the Lord to do this. That you can date the right way. That you can end up at the altar with someone pure. Having never slept with them, never done that, you can, it can be done. It is very possible. But it takes you taking the necessary steps and precautions to understand that love is powerful. And therefore, I'm going to treat it with the utmost respect. And, and I'm going to wait. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening. And, and Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would continue to minister these things to our hearts. As we close in a song tonight, God, may our worship rise to you as we're reminded of just your love for us. Jesus, that you love us so much. You care for us so much. Your love for us took you to the cross. And so, Lord, we know. We know tonight that you have a plan, you have a purpose for us. You have that, pers that person that you're preparing for us. 
So God, help us to be wise. Lord, give us patience. Give us wisdom. Lord, we love you. And so Jesus, we worship you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.